and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa, and I'm your host here from Studio 54 in Midtown Manhattan. Audio engineer Joey is here. Producer Kyle is off. And today's special guest is the co-host of The Michael K Show on 98.7 ESPN here in New York. You can also hear him calling Rangers play-by-play and hosting the Jets pre- and post-game shows. The one, the only, Don LaGreca. Hi, Don. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. We finally got this done. I'm glad I beat Kay. Yes, I'm glad you did too. Yeah. And I'm honored to have you on first because I really wanted to get to the bottom of a lot of things on the show, and I feel like you could answer a lot of questions for us. But first, I want to get to a little bit of the Kevin Durant situation, mm-hmm. since we haven't discussed that yet on the okay. podcast. And then I, I do want to get your opinion on the Jose Reyes stuff. So a lot to get to. Um, let's start with Jose Reyes, who returned to the Mets Tuesday night, for those who don't know. It was a franchise where he first started his career, and he returned after serving a 50-game suspension for domestic violence, an incident where he left bruises on his wife's neck. And uh, basically, he choked her and mm-hmm. threw her into a glass door and, in a Hawaii resort. An awful situation. The Rockies waved him, and the Mets picked him up. Tuesday night, he made his return. And a lot was being made about what kind of reception he would get in New York when he came back. And the fans gave him a standing ovation, and you had a very strong take on it. What was your take? I just didn't think it was warranted. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to welcome him back, that's fine. He was a popular Met. But a standing ovation is reserved for people that did great things, and he's coming off one of the worst things you can do to another human being. I'm not begrudging him coming back. I'm glad the Mets signed him. I wish him nothing but the best, second chances, all that. But a standing ovation almost, I, I don't want to say encourages, but it almost just ignores the big elephant in the room. I mean, I don't think we should forget that anytime soon. Now, he showed contrition, which he should. He should be sorry for what he did. Yeah. For some reason, we live in a society now where we kind of reward people for doing the right thing. So he apologized, but let's not forget what he apologized for. So polite applause, and you want to cheer him if he hits a home run, but a standing ovation is kind of reserved for special things, and he didn't do anything all that special. Yeah. But I guess just digesting it, it just seems that people have learned to be able to shut off the personal from the professional. So they cheer the ball player but not condoning what the person does, I don't have that ability. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's hard. I mean, I grew up worshiping Lawrence Taylor, but as I got older, I realized that he's such a bad person off the field that it it, it ended up affecting how much I liked him as a football player. Mm -hmm. It just has to. I mean, when I was a kid, I was kind of able to ignore it because ignorance is bliss, but as you get older and you begin to realize some of the things that he did, it's hard. It spills over, but I guess some people are able to separate the ball player from the person, but... Standing ovation seemed to be a little bit much for me. So you had a very visceral reaction yesterday on the Michael K. Show. Michael K. wasn't there. Right. It was just you and my husband, Peter Rosenberg. And I was just listening on the radio on the way back from the game. I didn't see it, but it sounded like it was amazing, honestly. It was radio gold <laughs> from my perspective. But that was that was real. That came from a real place well, because inside people, you. Because just people drive you crazy. And I shouldn't let Twitter bother me. I'm always telling Michael to ignore it. Yeah. But... You know, I just got several tweets from people because I use the analogy that it's hard for me to stand up and give an ovation to Jose Reyes. We're in the second inning of every Met game. You know that. You're there at City Field. A member of the New York Mets will come out and give a flag to a veteran. Yep. And in the few games that I've went to, they just happen to be World War II veterans. And mm-hmm. and I think, and I, I went through a little bit of a monologue about how we should appreciate the World War II veterans because there's so few of them left. I mean, just to have served... If you were 18 years old in 1945, I mean, you're 89 years old now, going to be 90. 
So we're a few years away from not having any World War II veterans left. Yeah, it's true. So if you happen to know anyone that's a World War II veteran, you can actually get it from the horse's mouth. And in 10 years, we might only be able to know what happened through textbooks. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went through that, and then some people on Twitter were saying, well, we don't know if those World War II veterans uh, beat their wives, and you give them a standing ovation, and I just like, but we know Jose Reyes beat his wife. Right. Like, I just, I can't believe how commonly people treat this. Mm-hmm. Um, women don't have a voice. Most of, Jose Reyes is able to play baseball because his wife didn't want to testify. Right. Because people don't realize how difficult it is for women to be able to go on the stand and talk about what happened to them. And maybe separate from a husband. How many women can't leave their husband because of kids or because of financial situations? So they have to live with the abuse and they don't testify because they know their life might be worse if they do testify. So they don't have a voice. And for some reason, we're ignorant as people to think that now that automatically makes the person that committed the crime innocent. Mm -hmm. And so we look at Jose Reyes able to play, and it's, well, he's innocent. He wasn't charged with anything, but something still happened. And extenuating circumstances allowed him to play. Right. So I, I just think about my wife, and I think about my mom, and I think about what happened if they were ever abused. And thank God they haven't been. Mm-hmm. But I get calls and tweets from people who say, you know, my mom went through this, my girlfriend went through this, and another relationship, and... And they don't have the voice. People don't understand. Yeah. And and I just think that we shouldn't brush it under the rug. We shouldn't give standing ovations to the guys that did this. We should acknowledge, yes, they deserve a second chance. And yeah, they're allowed to play. But let's not forget what they did. And certainly let's not applaud them for coming back. He he didn't conquer anything. It wasn't He's not a hero for coming back and playing baseball. I mean, right. somebody called and said, but he lost a lot of money. Good. I hope he lost everything. Right. But... You know, that's everybody's got their own opinion on it, but I don't think we should forget. So I was at the ballpark on Tuesday, and pregame, I do a bunch of reads, and I have my back to the field facing the fans, and the fans erupted in cheer. And the first thing that came to my mind was, wow, I haven't heard them cheer like this in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the first thing that was on my mind, it wasn't Jose Reyes. The first thing on my mind was, they must be cheering for somebody who is a leader, a role model, somebody who sticks out in the clubhouse and who really means something to this team. I thought that David Wright stepped out onto the field, not to play. Obviously, we've Mm -hmm. seen him recently, and he's been very gaunt since his surgery. But I thought that they, you know, we haven't seen much of him recently. We've seen a couple shots on SMY of him in the bullpen. We've seen a couple interviews here and there. But I thought he had walked out onto the field and was standing with the guys while they were warming up and that the fans were going crazy for him. So I had a smile on my face. And I was like, wow, that's really nice to hear that the fans really respect the captain and it's nice to, you know, to see him back. And when I turned around, it was Jose Reyes running sprints, warming up in right field. And not only were they, were they cheering, they were on their feet. And several women in the crowd of about 150 or 200 fans had signs that said, welcome back, Jose. Man. I was like, people just don't get it. They just don't no. understand. And I guess maybe they have a talent that we don't have. They're able to shut it off and they just acknowledge him as the ball player. But if he had done something tremendous like what um, P.K. Subban did in Montreal with the Canadians and donated $10 million to uh, a children's hospital... Uh, we would acknowledge that and cheer him for that, you know, but so we can't boo or we can't acknowledge negativity when he did something bad off of the field or the ice or the court. So I don't get I, I had a call from somebody who said, listen, I'm a kid. I, I grew up watching Jose Reyes. He was my favorite player. I was just cheering the ball player. And I kind of understood where he came from. But 
at the same time, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just can't shut that side of it off. He's allowed to play. I guess I'll cheer him if he does something well because I'm a Met fan. I want to see the Mets do well. But I'm sorry, I just can't I can't forget that as easily as some people are able to forget it. A standing ovation just for coming back seems excessive. It, it, it does. Yeah. You know, but enough people did it and and they and they fought for it, so uh, whatever. But you know, I'm watching, you know, we're gonna get to Kevin Durant or or you know, what happens to Wayne Wade signing with Chicago and I I go on Twitter last night and I'm seeing people burning Wade jerseys. <laughs> like so so it's okay for you to hate the player when he makes a decision to go home and play. A business decision a business to better decision, his life. You know, that's about sports. It's kind of just fantasy land, but what he actually but what people actually do off the field, oh, we'll forget that. That doesn't matter to me. Uh, you know, I justified the LT stuff, Alexa, with I rooted for the football player, not the man. When LT wrote a book after his career was over, I didn't read it because I didn't care. I only cared about him in the football uniform. But as I got older, and I'll, I'll give you a personal experience, um, a, a few months ago, Steiner and ESPN asked me to interview Lawrence Taylor for a dinner that we had so people could um, try to win or, or they actually paid money to go to this event where I'd interview Lawrence Taylor for like 30 minutes and then people would get autographs and have a chance to talk to him. If you had told 18-year-old Don LaGreca that I was going to do that, I would have wet myself. Uh-huh. Honestly, I, I was I, – I kind of just – I, I kind of just did it because it was it was a job. I didn't take any glory from it because I can't shut off the the person that he became. You know how I, I'm, I'm sitting next to a person. He's not wearing a jersey. He's not tackling anybody. He's another human being sitting next to me. So all of the things that he did and he was involved in kind of spill over to where I think about that more than I think about the two Super Bowls. And so I did what I, you know I did the event um, and it was fine and people loved it, but. It wasn't what I thought it would be because I guess as I get older, I just can't shut the person along. Was that your first time meeting him or had you met him No, before? I met him. I, I, went, I went when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1999. Mm-hmm. You know, So even then, I had the ability to turn it off. Now, a lot of things have happened to LT after 1999 mm-hmm. um, so to make it even worse. But I think as I've gotten older, I just I, I can't. I mean, I guess when you're younger and you're so focused on sports and you don't realize or understand the significance. Listen, a lot of us didn't understand the significance of domestic violence until the Ray Rice video. Right, right. I mean, everybody had, you know, you heard, oh, he was, you know, suspended or not even suspended or he was, you know, he was fined or he was um, arrested or charged with domestic violence. There were just words. Right. Uh, there wasn't a picture. There wasn't a, a view of it until the Ray Rice so I think we were all kind of guilty of not understanding the significance of it until then. Mm-hmm. But now that we live in a post-Ray Rice world, for even a young person to react the way they did to Reyes was a little over the top. Do you wish that you could be your younger self and say, I could separate the two forever well, and not ever really like kind of grow and, and become wiser or more cynical uh, or more aware or whatever it is? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, but probably not, because I think you want to find that stuff out for yourself. Because mm-hmm. honestly, if, if the 18-year-old Don LaGreca knew all that stuff, would I have continued to be a sports fan or would I have just eventually lost interest? I right. mean... I don't want people not because there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good players. Yeah, you know if we allow ourselves to have the few broken ones to ruin it. But you know if if I went back and talked to the 18 year old Don LeGrecq and said this is a bad guy, this is a drug addict, this is a guy that that you know went you know slept with underage whores and you know all the things that he he did. Um, and then I stopped being a fan of Lawrence Taylor. Would maybe I wouldn't I progress to maybe stop watching football and then maybe not got into sports at all. So right. I think you kind of have to learn 
on your own. I don't want to rush growing up. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's move on to Kevin Durant, like you said, joining the Golden State Warriors after a free agent frenzy, essentially. What I kind of liked about it was that he was like, I am one of the most important free agents in this whole process. I'm going to post up in the Hamptons. Y'all can come to me because I'm not flying around. I've done all that business. You know, I've, I'm, I'm too tall to be on these planes anymore. I'm going to chill in the Hamptons and you guys can come, you know, worship me and, and throw your pitch at me. I thought that was kind of a cool way of doing it. So he goes to Golden State. What are your thoughts about him joining the Golden State Warriors? Well, good for him. If that's where he wants to be, if that's where he thinks he can get the ring, uh, I'm not going to tell him he's wrong. Would I have done that? No. I don't know if I'd be able to leave Oklahoma City, where I kind of left them in a lurch, right? I was up three games to one. I could couldn't finish off Golden State. It's but got he's been that... there for nine seasons. Right. It's. Not, I mean, everyone's just focused on this last year and, and so tunnel vision on the fact that he lost to them and now he's joining them. And that is the oversimplifying way of looking at it. But if you step back and look at his whole career, he's been there for nine years. He went through his broken foot. He went through going to the finals with them before. He's Mm -hmm. been through so much with this team, and he can't seem to win with them. He's not getting any younger. Why not be able to go win a ring? No, why, I not, get not, it. why not not have to be in that category and of guys that have never won a ring? Because that is not a fun category, regardless of what Charles Barkley right, says. But if he wins the ring in Golden State right. and goes and signs with the Boston Celtics and finishes out his career and never wins again, yeah. will that ring be appreciated by the fans or will they just look at it and say, well, the only reason he won a ring was because he went and joined a team that was probably going to win the championship anyway. He never won before he went to Golden State, didn't win after Golden State. So we've gotten to the point in our society where, or sports society, where it's how many rings do you have? And now we grade the wins. We grade the, the rings and what their worthiness is. And will that ring mean as much to him than the one he could have won in Oklahoma City? Because remember, he didn't, you know, Cleveland, when, when LeBron left the, the Cleveland, I, they, they weren't going to win. Right. Um, he needed to go someplace else to try to get that ring. Um, Oklahoma City, 55 wins. They're up three games to one against the Golden State Warriors. I mean, you could make the case with with Westbrook having one more year, they could have gotten one more kick at the can. He could have signed a one-year deal with the Thunder just to see it through. And then if it didn't work out, say, hey, listen, uh, we tried. We gave it a couple of kicks. Didn't work out. Then I'm going to go. That's what I would have done. Team up with Westbrook one more year. And I know he doesn't get along with Westbrook, but it would be only one more year. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because remember, they had a 3-1 series lead, and he's the face of the franchise, and they blew it, and they lost that game six at home. Wouldn't you but want to, to, to give it one more shot rather than join the team? It is. You, you could talk about it just being um, a, a layup, but it is. If you can't beat them, join them. I mean, literally, we couldn't beat them. We blew the 3-1 series lead, so now I'm going to join them and win. And if he doesn't win, oh my God, he'll be eviscerated because it just they're, they're going to go in at, at even money or better well, to win think, the championship. But I don't think he necessarily will because one of the it's not a given. Everyone wants to go ahead and give him the ring, but it's absolutely not a given. If you were to tell anyone that this season, after what happened during the regular season in the NBA, that Golden State wasn't going to win the finals, they would say you're no, crazy. No, you're right. And listen, the, the LeBron James and, and Wade and Bosh didn't win their first year. They lost to Dallas. To Dallas, yeah. So no, it's, it, this is sports, you know. So, but let's let's extrapolate out to that. Let's say they lose. He's going to take a lot of responsibility for that because they were put over the top by him getting there. And if they win, 
it's a shared win because it's still Curry's team. I mean, even though Durant's a better player, it'll still be Curry's team. Just like when Alex Rodriguez came to the Yankees, even though Alex was a better player, it was still Jeter's team. But I think because it's Curry's team, the burden, if they don't win, will be shared way more than if had Kevin Durant stayed in Oklahoma City and not won again next year. That burden is on him so much more. It, it The weight of having a team on your back like Oklahoma City mm-hmm. when you are the face of not only the franchise but essentially the entire city and the state of not being able to win and having to carry that around if he goes to Golden State and doesn't win there I don't think it's as big of a deal as if he doesn't well, I, win again I, I, in Oklahoma well, City no, well I, I think it's it's kind of it's kind of the same right because the burden would be on him because all those other guys already have a ring like they've won already so Curry and Thompson and Green and all those guys but already have a ring. But he's going to join the champions. Right. And if he's going to go, go join the champions to go be a champion, it's on all of them at the same time. I feel like they all will carry the weight together if they don't win. And well, yes, Katie might be a little bit more eviscerated because he decided to uh, leave Oklahoma City. But the weight that he has on him in Oklahoma City is so much heavier than I feel like the burden that he would carry if he doesn't win in Golden State. But Right now, and I'm not saying this is the right perception, but yeah. the perception seems to be Durant's not a winner. He, he can't win the big one. Right. Right? And if he goes to Golden State and they don't win the championship, then it's, well, see? You, you added a loser to your team and you couldn't win because the other guys all have proven that they could win together. So he's the element that comes in. He's the guy that hasn't won coming in to help the team that is already equipped to win. So don't you think everybody's just going to blame him if they don't win? Well, which is why I think that him going to Golden State is so much more complicated than people just saying, oh, he's going to join a winner. Because mm-hmm. he's kind of throwing a wrench in the system. Well, well he it's is. It's a system that worked on consistency. That was what, you know, health and consistency is what helped them so much this year. And yes, they share the ball and that's what also, you know, leads to a lot of their success. But the fact that he is now a seven foot tall guy who's going to come in and basically change the way that the game is going to be played for them. It's going to be interesting to see how how that actually translates into wins and losses during the regular season to get them to where they want to go. Yeah, because I'm not sure you can, what are they going to win, 74, 75 games? I can't see that. So they might take a step back just because of the fact that the law of averages tell you you can't be that good for that long. But They'll be favored to win. They're pretty much even money to win again. But if they don't, if it, even if they do win, if the perception is that this is a guy that can't win the big one, yeah, and he goes to Golden State and he wins, and like I said, if he goes to Boston and or wherever else he goes, or even if he stays in Golden State and never wins another ring, yeah, it'll be. Well, is he really a winner? Because look what it took for him to finally win that ring. He had to join this super team that was already good enough to win the championship anyway. Hey. Good for him. He wants to win it. But I just know if I was part of a team that blew a 3-1 series lead, and let's face it, Durant didn't play all that well in those three losses, I would feel like I want to go back and I want to give it another shot here to see if we can finally beat him. But to kill him is is wrong because it's his life and it's what he wants to do. And if he doesn't care what people think and he just wants a ring on his finger and celebrate a championship – I'm not going to try to take it away from him. It's just not how I would have handled it. Yeah, agreed. Despite the couple of jackasses on Twitter who were burning his jersey, I feel like the city of Oklahoma and the fans handled the situation really well. They were really appreciative. From what I'd read from a couple of the reporters who report, you know, in Oklahoma City, they were saying how the fans were just, you know, 
humbled by the fact that Kevin Durant was even came to the mm-hmm. franchise and was able to give them nine years and were really proud of what he had accomplished there, which I don't know that that would necessarily be my immediate reaction, but I feel like the, the city well, handled it really well. What I like about Oklahoma City, and I've never had a chance to see a game there, but people who have said it's one of the best atmospheres, it's got that college atmosphere. And it's all about Kevin Durant. We've come to be a sports fandom of like championships or some sort of entitlement. Yeah. That you, unless you win a championship, I really don't care about you. It seemed like Oklahoma City was just happy that, hey, a professional franchise came here. We were successful because of him for nine years. Yeah, we didn't win, but hey, before you know, they were in Seattle and we didn't even have a, a, a professional team. Now we had a professional team. We were relevant. So they looked at it the right way. Unfortunately, we just get pigeonholed in a championship or I'm not interested. Championship or I don't care. Right. And only, only one of every every team in sports in each sport gets to win a championship it's hard to win yeah yeah some teams make it look easy you know yeah. the yankees made it look easy in the late 90s winning four out of five uh lebron makes it look easy with his championships and but and jordan made it look easy going six for six but it's hard it's yeah. hard to win and i'm glad that they appreciated uh, something other than a championship in oklahoma city well especially because they're kind of like redheaded stepchildren in the sense that you know their greatest fears were almost realized which was that they didn't really feel like they deserved a franchise or that they deserved one of the best players in the league to come play for their franchise. Mm-hmm. And then when he stayed and he was good and he represented their team and he helped boost their economy, it was so much about, wow, look, we actually do deserve this. He does want to be here. He wants to play for us. And then all of a sudden it was realized that like, oh, wait, no, we were, we were right initially in how we felt in being inferior and but we're still going to kind of hold our head high. So I give them tons of props because I feel like they yeah, really handled it good well. Good for them. I just hope that it doesn't end up being where now the team, you know, Westbrook's going to be there one more year if he doesn't get traded out of there. And do they become Cleveland after LeBron left, where they become a, a 25-30 win team, and then nobody outside of Oklahoma City cares anymore, and they become oblivion, uh, just oblivion. And now nobody wants to go there because I don't want to live in Oklahoma City, and yeah. the team's not any good. So. Hopefully that won't happen to them, but I think when Westbrook leaves, if he does leave, that's probably where they're headed, right? I yeah. mean, you, you, you couldn't win with Duran and Westbrook together, and if you have to start all over, yeah, that's going to be a tough play. It's going to be hard for them to win free agents over. If they're a losing team, yeah. and even though that's a you know, nice city, it's not exactly you know the biggest city in the world, and yeah. you're kind of obscured by Texas, so... Um, I don't know if they'll be able to win free agents over. I feel like the ghost of KD will haunt that city for a little a little while. Yeah. What is your your rooting interest? You're a Knicks fan. Is that? Do you grow up? I, I never really had a basketball team ever. And no, I mean I tried. You're a hockey to, guy. Yeah, and it's hard. You know, I I, I admire people that lo- lo- love both basketball and hockey because they're played at the same time, so it's hard. Right. So being a hockey person, but you know, I grew up. Uh, you know, try, we went to some Nets games. My brother was a partial season ticket holder, my younger brother. So I, I went to the, the Bulls-Nets game when uh, the, the headbutting incident, uh-huh. <laughs> if you remember. Um, so I, I've seen my share of NBA, but as I've gotten older, uh, you kind of prune your tree a little bit. So it's hard to just be into all four major sports exactly the same. Uh-huh. But I never really had a favorite team. I tried because I was a hockey guy to see if I can... Maybe get into the Vancouver Grizzlies when they were in Vancouver. It lasted like a week. It just never hooked on. So, no, I mean, it's good for our station if the Knicks win. Uh, but I've always, my heart's always kind of been with the Nets because they were from New Jersey and I went to a lot of games there. And, yeah. Um, I, I empathize with them being the, uh, the second team in town, being a Mets fan. Uh, growing up a Devils fan, I kind of knew that um, 
what it was like to to be the second or third team in town. So I kind of, if I had to hope for, if you tell me the Knicks or Nets to win a championship, I probably would want the Nets to win it. Yeah. But I don't really have a team. But you're a Devils fan. And I was up, a Devils fan. And you are now a... A, a, a hockey fan. Okay. Now, people don't understand that. I get called a fraud all the time. But okay. what am I supposed... I, I, I can't do Ranger games and maintain my Devil fandom. So I made a decision when I got into uh, the play-by-play that mm-hmm. I was going to have to turn that off. Uh-huh. And Devil fans went nuts because in 2012, they played each other in the conference final. Right. And I was looking at some of the message boards because I was situated um, ice level. Um, for the, as the third announcer for the Rangers. When I wasn't calling a game, I'd be down at the ice and they'd go down to me for reports, kind of like what you do in SNY during um, uh, the spring. And Devils scored a goal, and the momentum of the celebration was against the glass where I was. Uh-huh. So I'm just, you know, I'm just staring at it, watching it. And they're like, why aren't you cheering? Why aren't you banging on the glass? I mean, how would that look if I'm working for the Rangers banging on the glass after the Devils score? <laughs> right, right. You know, and then I started looking at it. All right, if the De- if the Rangers win against the Devils in 2012, mm-hmm. the Rangers go to the Stanley Cup final. I get to travel to L.A. for the road games. Right. Um, Bruce Beck from uh, NBC is going to be interviewing me to come on his show, and there's going to be attention. If the Devils win, then it's over. I'm not working. Right. <laughs> so it's like, what, so what am I supposed to root for here? You right. know, the, my childhood team, and then they win, and it's like, okay, as a fan, that'd be cool. Or do I want the Rangers to win, the team that I grew up hating because I was a Devil fan, but I can make more money, I get more exposure, I get to do what I love more? That's an easy decision that people didn't seem to understand. That's when I realized, you got to turn this off. So I'm just a hockey fan. I want all three teams to do well because if the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils are all playing well, there's a better chance we'll talk about it on the Michael K show. Right. So it's about the work. So it was an easy thing to turn off. When you were younger, were you more broadcast or sports? Like, did you know you were going to be on the radio or did you know that you were going to be involved in sports somehow? When I got cut from the college baseball team, Mm -hmm. I walked right to the radio station. So that was 1986. Mm -hmm. So it's been basically about broadcasting. but, um, But it was about sports originally. Oh, yeah. It was about trying to become, you know, a professional baseball player or a football player. But I played baseball more than any other sport, so I wanted to be a baseball player. And when that dream officially died, because if I can't make the college team at Ramapo, then I'm probably not going to make the Mets. Uh So then I started broadcasting the games, and I had a heavy metal radio show, and and I toyed with that. What gravitated you to do the radio station, to even walk over there? Well, because in my high school... High school, my senior year, we had this thing, electives, I guess get you prepared for college where you'd have to choose an elective, and I chose communications. Uh-huh. And I went through the class, and I and at graduation, I won the communications award. Wow. So I said, you know, maybe communications is the way to go. And I've always... Oh, was it just radio or was it TV too? Uh, just radio. Okay. I mean, you look at me. It's radio. I think you, you got, got a face, face for TV. radio. <laughs> well, we'll see, maybe. You got the hair for it too. Uh, yeah, I got to get a haircut. It's awful. I just don't have the time. But uh, <laughs> so... Um, but I love Bob Murphy. He was the play-by-play voice of the Mets. I remember mm-hmm. going to a Devils fan club dinner back in the late 80s, and you were supposed to pick a player to have dinner with. Mm-hmm. And Jim Corn was my player. Mm-hmm. And he didn't show up to the dinner. So they said, we, we, we're sorry your player didn't come. We're going to put you with the broadcasters, which was Chris Moore was the play-by-play and Gary Thorne was the TV guy, and it was I was it was like a dream. Like I'm hanging out with radio announcers because that's what I really wanted to do deep oh, that's down. So funny. So I've always been a fan of of other people's work, and it's just and New York is we've got the best 
announcers. You know, with the Yankees, with Michael Kay, Gary Cohen with the with the Mets, and then Howie and Josh on the radio, and and just Bob Papa doing the Giants, Bob Wachusen with the Jets. I mean, Mike Breen with the Knicks. I mean, we've got some of the best announcers, yeah, really. Amazing. So just follow, really following the, their career and being able. You know, doing hockey and, and, and seeing Howie and seeing Sam Rosen, uh, who does the Ranger games, or seeing Kenny Albert, who I think is you know, the best in the business. The guy can do all four sports. Yeah. You know, I just think it's great to be just rubbing elbows with them. So as great it is, is to hang with the players. As I've gotten older, I'm more of a fan of the, of the announcers and trying to be like them and yeah. emulate them. So that's why it's such a dream to be able to do what I do. I feel that. Do you have any Kenny Albert stories in terms of where you would practice, like you would record games and then call over them when the game's on mute or like any sort of, you know, interesting things that you did practicing? Well, I actually, I never, I never actually had the courage to do it, but I remember when I was younger, I would play um, the NHL video games, like NHL 94, Uh and I said, what if I called the game and then I sent that in as a tape and I'm like, ah, that would just kind of be weird if I I did that. No, um, but when I first auditioned for the Rangers, I practiced because I have games. I have games on video, football, hockey games from way back. Uh Just threw them in and kind of did them off the screen. Cool. And then I still, you know, when I do the pre and post for the Jets, uh, for the um, for the Jets and for the for the Rangers, I listen to the broadcast and and try to pick up tips even today Uh from those guys. But uh, but no no stories of like Howie Rose going into the blue seats and calling a game into a tape recorder. Uh, there's no weird tapes of that. But um, we can't dig those up somewhere. I mean, there's weird tapes just because I did that. The Beast is Unleashed. It was called as a heavy metal show. Uh huh. So there's old tapes of me interviewing metal bands, and we used to have to sneak them into the radio station so they climbed through the window because they weren't allowed in after hours. And uh-huh. The police would come and shut us down because I was interviewing, you know, Hostile Rage or Torment or one of the local metal bands. So there's, so there's plenty of uh, audio from that, but no, okay. old, no old play-by-play. What got you into heavy metal? I just always loved it. Um, and I remember that first Kiss Alive album where it was like they had the makeup on, and I thought it was just so good. Mm-hmm. Trog Keller, who's one of the heads at ESPN, mm-hmm. asked me at the Super Bowl. He's like, "What? Why? Why? What, what is it about heavy metal? I, I don't like it. I, it's it's awful." What, what, what do well, you Trog like and about? I share that. We both feel the same way. I, well, I'm going to tell you why I like it. Okay. All right. The end of Rocky. Uh huh. You're pumped up, right? Like you might want to get into a fight with somebody after when Rocky ends, right? Because right. you, you know just that adrenaline flowing. That's listening to a metal song. Like think of your favorite song. There's probably some hook in the song where you kind of move your head or you bang your fist like a little bit because it's just the song's coming to like this crescendo. Yeah, that's what metal is from start to finish. It's uh-huh. just that aggression. And I've always been kind of an aggressive person, and I just love the music, and I love. You know, even though like the whole Satanism stuff is usually just made up, like most of these bands aren't really into that. Mm-hmm. But there was always that like dark, like I, I find it just kind of cool. I mean, I grew up, I went to Catholic school the last two years of grammar school and all through high school. Mm-hmm. So I mean, my my mom was Russian Orthodox, my father was Catholic, so there was religion in the house. My father almost became a priest. Wow. So we're not that I grew up like with very religious household, but you know religion was always in the room. Mm-hmm. So when I got older and I started, you know, hearing about this, you know, the Anton Lavey um, Satan book, and started to see that there was like another side to things, even though I didn't believe in it, it I was curious, right? Like an upside down cross or. The different albums, like the Black Sabbath albums, and just looking at them, like this is this is this is cool. This uh-huh. is fun, 
you know. So I never really got You're into. Curious it. More but so it was than just anything. like just curious that there was this whole other world. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up. My father listened to WHN, which is ironic because that that was ten fifty. That's where our station started. Uh-huh. So I listened to country music. I, I listened to the. To, to Elvis Presley and the Everly Brothers and Alabama and you know stuff like that and then so then when I got a little bit older and went started going to high school and you started listening to rock music and it was like yeah oh, this is fun but then when I discovered uh, 1984 I went to Record Town uh-huh. these things you're probably even too young to remember going and buying records I never but, did but <laughs> I'm very familiar with it with my but, husband yeah of course yeah. and there was an import I went to the import section. And there was a Venom record, and it was at war with Satan. The whole first side was a 20-minute song about heaven and hell and a war. And I just I said, this is, the, this is so cool. <laughs> so that was where it really kind of developed, kind of like, I guess, how people get into horror movies. It was just a whole thing I didn't know very much about, and I got curious, and the music was aggressive, and I just fell in love with it. Do you relate heavy metal and that whole heaven and hell war to sports at all? Do you see the same analogy in the two? Um, the only analogy I see is metal is like hockey. It's underappreciated. Its fan base is small but very passionate. Interesting. So, because like what, well, like hockey, it's hard to get to talk a lot of hockey on the K show because mm-hmm. it doesn't move the needle. There's not a lot of fans of it. But when we do talk it, you could you could tell the passion for the fans to call. But there's no real heavy metal radio station. Like most of the metal that I'm talking about wasn't played on the radio. I, I you know, a, a band like Merciful Fate or Venom or Slayer wasn't getting played on local radio. I had to find it. Uh-huh. So that's the way. And and because you became really appreciative of it, because you had to work a little harder to hear it. Yeah. You know, if you were into top forty, you turn on the radio and your favorite song is going to come on twice a, every hour. Yeah. You know, so the fact that you had to work so hard to get it, you appreciated it. So it's the same with hockey. Is that you got to work really hard to get the information? You got to work really hard to talk about it. So when you do, you appreciate it more. So when you're in the college radio booth, <clears throat> paint the picture for us a little bit. I mean, you're sitting here wearing a button-up T-shirt right now. Um, were you? Did you dress the part? Did you? Did you have long hair? Did I mean, you have I baggy had a jeans? leather jacket was a big deal. Okay. All right, you had to have the motorcycle jacket, but no, I didn't. Did it have wear a decals st- on the back? No, I you know this, and I didn't have the denim where you had. I don't know if you saw those because they're very retro. It's the it's the denim vest. Okay. And on the back it would have like a cover of a metallic album. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, yep. <clears throat> and no, I maybe I didn't go that far. Okay. But you had the leather jacket. Leather jacket and the, the hair. Okay. Long I mean, hair. Yeah, there's a picture I can you could probably search it. Of me with my mullet in college, uh-huh. it's spectacular. It really is. It's a way <laughs> down a my back, like really. And it's, so I had the I had the long hair. I love the long hair. I still struggle with it now. If it was accepted, I probably would have really long hair now. It just would look funny. I think you could pull it off. games. I don't know because now it starts to grow and it's gray and you just you look like an old man. But uh, I I had the long hair. So you'll I, I, if you go to my Facebook page, you'll see some old pictures. Any of me makeup? At WRPR. Anything like that? No, 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 no. See, I see. People get confused, like Michael gets confused, <laughs> that because I'm in the metal, uh-huh. they start to think, well, you got to go see that uh, that play. What, what's the play that was um, that had Journey and Poison? Oh, and the, ro- the, 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 rock. the Rock of Ages. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not interested in it. I'm not... No, I'm not into Poison. I mean, like, I like Journey, but not as like a hard rock band. Right. I mean, no, that, no, there was no... There was no makeup. Did you ever play any instruments? No, I tried to play drums, but I just drove my parents crazy when I was practicing <laughs> in the basement, so that that went away. But you know, uh, no offense to like you know Molly Crew to me. That's that's strip club music. That's okay. like a, that's a that's a strip club band. 
Um, no, so uh, my so no my, makeup, just the leather jacket and the no mullet. makeup, okay. no LA glam. No, we'll no, post no, no, those no. pictures for yeah. those of you that haven't seen Don's Facebook. We'll put those on our Instagram. So from your college radio station, interviewing you know hardcore heavy metal bands and calling college basket college baseball. Yeah, and some, I did some basketball too. And some basketball. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from there? Where does that take you? Sports phone. Okay. Nine seven six one three one three. Okay. And that's where everybody started. Uh, Michael K, Howie Rose, Al Trowig, Bob Papa. I mean, they all got their start there. It was like going away to a small market, but getting a chance to stay in New York. Mm-hmm. And it was originally located not far from here on Fifty Fifth and Third, but eventually moved out to Long Island, right across from Belmont Park in, Bel- in Elmont, New York. Okay. And like no money, it probably cost me money to go there because I was living in Jersey, so I had to cross the uh, George Washington Bridge, the Throg's Neck. It was like eleven dollars in tolls. I'd get Chinese food, and when I when I first got full time there in nineteen ninety four, uh, I think it was like eighteen thousand five hundred was the starting salary, and I got benefits, which was terrific. But wow. before then, it was like eight dollars an hour, and it was just a bunch of guys updating the scores we had all the satellite dishes where all the games were up and it was a great place to start because you did updates every 10 minutes so right. it was like doing a sports cast every 10 minutes and during the nfl we did them every two minutes so you'd go in update the scores go in do the sports cast come back out update the score, and just and you, you it was 20 minute shifts and then you were off for 40 minutes so right. you got to watch the football games it was a great everybody complained because they made no money <laughs> But it was so much fun, and it was a great place to get started. And that's where um, I started there in 92. And I eventually took it over as a business and was the manager of it. And then I had to open up an office, and I did in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, and had a staff. And then when the contract expired, they eventually just kind of folded it. Because by 2000... The bottom line, the beepers and the cell phones pretty much put us out of business. But so you saw it more of instead of instead of just a place to learn for a year or two, you saw it more as a business opportunity, and you wanted to actually be part of it well, and go from there. <laughs> Not really. It was always a stepping stone. Okay, but unfortunately, that stone ends up being really long and 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 hard to climb up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be here for a couple of years, and then a couple of years is five years. So that was the five original years goal. Ten years. Okay. Really, you go, yeah, yeah, we'll do yeah, this for yeah. a couple of years, and then I'll become Bob Costas. <laughs> okay. Now, I remember they closed the entrance to the Throg's Neck Bridge um, off of the Cross Island, and they said that it was going to take a year to fix. Uh-huh. And we were all like, if we're still here when they <laughs> open that up, <clears throat> and, and we unfortunately, we stayed, and it was open, and they closed it again, opened it, because we just couldn't get out. Some people did, yeah. and then eventually I did. Um, but it was it was a great it was a great job it was a great learning experience but no it only became a business opportunity out of necessity they were gonna they were gonna let us all go yeah and I said what if I took it over you know and I put together a business plan and I was able to keep it up for another year or so and keep some jobs going for a little while longer and you know I, I hated it. Um, I never want to own my own business. I never want to write. Che- I had to write checks. I had to schedule. It was so. It was awful. Wow. I never handled it's like the, the opposite side. reason you got into this business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I was like not creative. An you wanted to just get on the mic. Yeah. <laughs> was, now you're but, running the show. But you know, I did it because I thought it was a way to kind of keep it going. Yeah. And keep making some money and having some other people make some money, but it wasn't for me. And then from there, what happens? Well, during that period of time, I got my opportunity um, at Ten Ten Wins. Yeah. Steve Malsberg was somebody that I had uh, gotten to to know or or knew somebody at Sportsphone and said, you know anybody that can do updates? And I said, well, what about Don? So they gave me the opportunity on the weekends to do 10-10 wins. Mm-hmm. And then from 10-10 wins, uh, 
Um, Mark Chernoff from FAN heard me, and then in 96, I got to work at the fan for five years. Um, and then when ESPN started, Steve Malzberg was at ABC, and they asked him, who would you want to hire to start up ESPN when it comes here? And they said, you should look at Don. So my relationship with Steve back in the day helped me move on to ESPN. When you, I've been there for 15 years. When you were at the fan, what was your best and worst learning experiences or experience in general from being there at the fan? It, you have to realize that it was, this was the only game in town when it came to sports. Yeah. I mean, you could do AB, you can do sports updates on all the different radio stations, but all sports radio, if you wanted to be in sports radio, that was the place to go. There was no Sirius XM. If you want to leave the, leave the state, if you want to leave the market, that was one thing. But if you want to stay, that was the, the only team. So mm-hmm. when I first got called to be on there, which was actually 20 years ago yesterday, yeah, when, congrats. Um, and That's awesome. It was like getting called up to the major leagues. So I was like nervous. and <laughs> But the, the learning experience was just the radio. What's great about what I find great about radio is is that it's it's a family. And not just the listeners, but the people within the community of radio. And when I, when I started working with the fan and seeing Mike and Chris and seeing Steve Summers and seeing the different people behind the scenes, that some of them are still there. Yeah. Just shows you that, that you're you're part of a family. That it's not just a place to work. That you got to know these people. You became friends with these people. Um, I also learned to unburden myself from mistakes. Like I'd make a mistake in an update, and I, it it would just haunt me. And oh, like, I know what that's I, like I, I for sure. <laughs> I can't. You can't let that happen. You got to yeah. let that roll off your back. But it takes a while. Yeah. You know because uh, and this was before Twitter. Right. But people still trolled back then. You know, I would get faxes from people. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, of ripping me for a mistake I made or or something. So, the listeners do keep you honest. Now it's much easier through Twitter and yeah. Facebook and, and social media. But even back then, they found a way. So, uh, I think it, it it humbled me to realize that you know people make mistakes. You got to fight through it. But um, that was probably the best part of just being in being called up to the majors. The way I really look at it, it's like getting called up to the Mets and, and, and getting the chance to play. And that's that was, uh, even though it was like overnights, and then eventually I got a chance to host. But that was the that was the experience of just learning from some of the best in the business and learning that, you know, not, not everybody's perfect. And not, don't strive for perfection because it's never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's a great lesson to learn. And especially, you know, at that point in your career, when you were around Francesa and Russo, what was your experience with them like? Mike was, um, you know, just a head nod. I got. I, I never. Unfortunately, now I don't. With the rivalry that seems to develop, I'm not even sure if there's a relationship anymore. But a funny story. I finally got a chance to do updates on their show. Mm-hmm. These, these are I have tapes of, and I'm doing the updates, and I was nervous because I knew not just that Mike is sitting there, but also there's a huge audience of people that are listening to this, and mm-hmm. so I fumbled through. I wasn't happy with it, um, and then. As the day progressed, I'm feeling better. And they always knew they were, that I was a hockey guy and that I knew hockey. So Mike, because he didn't really know me, is talking about me to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm overhearing it. He's like, yeah, that, that LaGreca, he really knows his hockey. Um, and then he's walking out the door. And he's like, you know, he knows his hockey. I was talking to, and the door closed. <sighs> And I never found out, was it Gary Bettman? Was it Wayne Gretzky? Was it Sam Rose? Like, I didn't know. And, and I was not, you know, it's, 
no offense to him, but he, he just wasn't an approachable guy. Right, right. You know, my brother worked there from behind the scenes after I did, and he always got along with Mike well. Um, but I never really had any kind of relationship. Now, Chris was a different story. Chris was of open talk, you know, smack you on the behind when you walked by, <laughs> asked how you were doing. Like, he was just a little bit more extroverted. So I, I was able to build a relationship with him, uh-huh. uh, but never really anything with Mike. Did you ever observe anything from Mike from afar that gave you any sort of insight into who he was? Just the, just uh, honestly, the... The confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, I, I still struggle with it. You know, the, to have the the borderline conceit to know how good you are, and to be able to walk around and and, and handle that. I mean, I I, I I I still like struggle with that. But just and I know it comes across like, well, he's a know it all, and he, and that, and that's become like a parody for him. But there is a confidence that I think everybody should kind of look at to just believe. That I'm the man. There's nothing wrong with that. When you've made it as far as he has, or has as far as Kay has, mm-hmm. to have that to have that confidence to to be able to bounce back from mistakes and believe in your convictions and not worry about other people's opinion, to just know that I'm doing it the right way. Forget what everybody else says and just and there's a there's a there's a talent to that that not a lot of us have because yeah. I'm sure you go through it too, like. You know you're doing it the right way, but a few people will criticize it, and you start to wonder, you know, maybe I should try it the way they're saying it, and then you get caught up in, am I, am I, am I doing, am I really doing what I believe in, or am I kind of doing what everybody wants me to be? Yeah. So yep. there take there's a confidence there to just say, hey, this is this is how I do it. Yeah. Like it, love it, hate it, I don't care. This is this is me. Right. Now I don't know if he always had that, but he from the time I met him in ninety six till certainly now, that exists. Yeah. And that's that that's the that's the highest compliment I could pay to him. Yeah, I said Michael absolutely. has it too. This is what this is you made it. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're, you know, you're the voice of the Yankees. You got afternoon drive. You, what do you have to listen to what anybody has to say? It's working. Whatever you're doing's working. So yeah. And, but not everybody has that confidence. So when you get to Afternoon Drive, are you guys... How did the show first work? You just became the part of the show, and that's how it, it took off? Well, the show started because of Michael's schedule. They had him on 10 to 1. Okay. And I was doing updates on Mike and Mike. Worst two and a half years of my life, having to get up at 3.45 in the morning. I'm not a morning person. It was awful. Yikes. And I couldn't make it the last thing I did every day because... I'd do the Michael K show till one. I wouldn't get home till two. I, I couldn't do that. Like if I ever worked a morning shift and I was done at nine or ten, I'd make it the last thing I did. Like if I was if I was Peter, when's Peter's show over? Is it ten? Yeah. I'd go home and sleep, get up, and then start the rest of my day. Right. I couldn't do that, so it was it was really hard. And the funny story with Michael is is that they put me on Michael's on location. I think he was at the stadium. Is this your first show? This is this is uh, yeah. I've been I had been working. I was the first voice at ESPN. I was the, I did the first update when ESPN went live on ten fifty. Okay, but I I that I was doing night updates and then they had me come in and do some shows up until they hired Michael. Okay, so now they hire Michael. It's just it's the Michael K show. I'm there. Erica Herskowitz is doing updates, uh-huh. so they just put me there. They tell me that I'm going to host with Michael. Uh huh. They tell Michael, Don's there in case the line drops. Talk to him if you want. Wow. Well, Michael didn't want to talk to me. So the whole day, uh, he doesn't speak to me. So I'm thinking, this is what a piece of garbage this guy is. I'm supposed to be his co-host. A, a three-hour show, he doesn't even talk to me? <laughs> show ends. 
I go back. Oh, no, 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 it's just a miscommunication. He's sorry. So they talk to him again, but they two different sides. They tell him, bring Don every once. He's just sitting there. So the second day, talks to me once. So I hear you're into hockey. I wow. said, yeah. He's like, I have harness racing ahead of hockey. Oh, my God. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> and then the third day, I don't know if you remember, it's a long time ago, uh, Brian Dennehy played um, Bobby Knight for a made-for-ESPN movie. Okay. Like it was Season on the Brink. Uh, it was the Fine Sand book. Not Fine Sand. I'm sorry. Um, somebody will correct me, whatever. My apologies. Um, wrote the book Season on the Brink. Okay. Then they made it into a movie on ESPN, and Brian Dennehy was Bobby Knight. Okay. So then Mike's third day, Michael goes, so what so did you think of it? I said, I thought it was horrible. He's like, oh, look at you going after the company. And then that was it. Oh, then, then finally, finally, when he comes into the studio, he meets me. Then they eventually decide, let's have Don do the updates. They move Erica Herskowitz tonight's. And then I start doing updates. And then slowly but surely, he talks to me a little bit. And then eventually, it grows into what it became. But it took a while. You know, it's still the Michael K show, so it hasn't gone fully co-host you know equal but yeah he still treats me great and we're still you know uh 50 50 as far as talking on the air is concerned he says it's 70 30 me i don't <laughs> believe that but that took a long long time you so know, of just trusting me and eventually just earning my stripes well you seem to take a lot of pride and and i would as well in being the first voice on the station when it kicked off mm-hmm and if that's the case, and then you kind of are told one thing and another thing happens when you are eventually are put on the show or when the, the show is developing, during that period, do you remember your mentality and how you got through it and what was going through your head and how you were working out everything in terms of, of what your role was supposed to be? Oh, yeah. I was looking for another job. <laughs> like, I wanted out. I was mad. Yeah. You know, um, because the other thing that happened was now Michael's 10 to 1. So, or, or that's that's starting to develop into that, and they need an afternoon drive show. Mm-hmm. So, what they would have me do is work with whoever they were auditioning, like Wally Matthews and Tom Keegan ended up becoming Wally and the Keeg. Mm-hmm. I worked with both of them. I thought I was in the running, but really, I never was. And when I didn't get it, and I was, you know, put back with the Michael K, I wanted out. Yeah, but. There wasn't anything open. I mean, I remember having a conversation. I remember being at Shea Stadium, seeing Mark Chernoff and saying, can you take me back? Mm-hmm. Is there anything? He's like, I can take you back, but it's going to be at what you were before you left, which was just catcher's catch can for hosting and, and weekends. And I just couldn't financially do it because I was working full time at ESPN. So right. I, I was, So that's how I handle it, like a big baby trying to get out. <laughs> But then eventually, you know, that's, I guess, everything happens for a reason. And eventually I, you know, matured with the Michael K show. And then in 2005, it moved to afternoon. Uh-huh. So, and then it started to click from there. But there was a lot of times I wanted out. Did you guys go out it ever? You and Michael, did you guys ever have any sort of fights where you guys no, got into it? we've always gotten along, really. Because, you know, I, and I, because I, I guess I always knew my role. You know, I just... It's his show. Mm-hmm. You know, that means he has to have the last word. So honestly, we get along great because I never really came in there to try to be anything other than his sidekick and then allowing him to dictate when I come in. Mm-hmm. So 
the relationship is basically how Michael envisioned it maybe to be, or he's been the one that has guided it to that point. It wasn't like I just came in and just tried to overtake him, or, or you know, because that's that's happened before in the past where you know people come in and then they just they they have a ulterior motive of I'm gonna you know take over and be the man, and, and he wasn't gonna accept that. Um, so it matured into what it was. So no, we've always we've never. You know, there's been disagreements about different things, but never, mm-hmm. never really a fight. We've always gotten along, mm-hmm. right? which is odd because you hear stories about co-hosts that don't get along or don't have any relationship outside of being on the air. Yeah. Now, are we best friends? Uh, I, I, you'd have to ask him, but I, <laughs> I, I, I consider him a, a very, very good friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't live anywhere close to each other where we're breaking bread all the time. But no, I think, I think the thing about him is, is that we're always close. You know, yeah. he takes everybody out for Christmas. You know, so anybody that's ever been on the show has always felt like family. Well, it sounds like you have a very healthy ego with the whole situation. And that can be tough, especially when you're such a major part of the show. But like you said, you are essentially a sidekick to Michael Kay, and his name is on the show. Have you ever, I mean, I know there's been talks on the show about your name being added to the show and how that plays out. Does that something that that you really would want if someone came to you and said, we're going to add your name to the show? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think I deserve it, but I'm... I'm not going to fight it. It's not worth it. Yeah. You know, because again, that's just, it's ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people that listen to the show know that I have a significant role on it. Yeah. So um, it bothers me a little bit sometimes because when you get somebody big on that maybe doesn't listen to the show and they say, oh, it's the Michael K show that they'll, they'll say Michael in response and then you know, I'm just another voice, right. you know, so Sometimes if it was the the Michael and Don show or whatever, that probably wouldn't happen. Right. But there's that automatic instinct of, well, that must he must have a lesser role because his name's not on the show. Right. Because that doesn't really exist anywhere else. I don't I don't know if there's another show in the country that has someone that is as equal to the host, but his name isn't on the show. Unless the show's name's something else. Right. Like if it was the you know the Yo Yo Afternoon show, then it wouldn't <laughs> you know it's a different different situation, but. So I think there is that stereotype of, well, he must just not be as important because his name's not on the show. So he must be uh, update or some But you, you don't know, feel sidekick. that way. But I don't feel that way at all. And Michael doesn't make me feel that way. So and that's all what's it, most important to making the show work. Yeah. So, right. so all it would be is cosmetic. Right. It's like, yeah, the house can use a new, uh, a new paint job, but yeah. it's still a beautiful house to be in. So, you know, the neighbors don't think the house is all that great because maybe the paint needs to be done but that's just ego it still functions it still works yep and it does kind of create an underdog role for me a little bit mm-hmm. which i think also helps the dynamic of the show michael's the big uh, famous guy and i'm the the little fan guy that has his voice and and that that kind of that dynamic works too and maybe that dynamic couldn't work if my name was on the show so so it's fine. Uh-huh. It's not something that I worry too much about. So you guys are both on the show, and then you kind of over the years have had a rotating third person come right. in, right? Michelle Beadle's been on the show, Ryan Rucco, you know, Dave Rothenberg. And then my husband lands, and he comes, and he is, sits in the chair, and now he is a permanent member uh, of what used to be a, a two-team kind of deal with a, a third rotating member. And now he is a permanent role on the show. How did that play into when you guys got the news that we are adding a permanent person well, there? It's It was fine just because they've always felt um, Tim McCarthy, who's the general manager of the radio station, always envisioned his afternoon show. Mm-hmm. And the original idea 
was it to be John McEnroe and Michael Kay, and they could just never get the contract done with McEnroe. Mm-hmm. So and and have a female third person like that was always the plan. So even though we've been always on the show together, there's always been, as you said, a revolving door of finding that extra element. Mm-hmm. So we knew that that was always going to be the case. So when it was brought up again to us, we weren't surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know Peter. I didn't know him at all. Either the first, I guess it was a little over a year ago. I remember I was in Tampa when the Rangers were in the conference final. It was the first time he was on the show. I had never met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother knew him a little bit because of the wrestling background. I don't think Michael knew him at all. So that was the awkwardness, because everybody else we've ever worked with, we either knew of their work or had a relationship with them. Right. So that was that was hard for Peter, I would think, to come in just completely out of the blue. It's mm-hmm. like curtain opens, somebody walks in, you don't know who they are. So not only is he trying to work with us, but get to know us at the same time. And it's hard, because sometimes Michael isn't there. Most times Michael isn't there. Right. And now we're both not there. So there's been so many shows where we're both at the stadium or I'm at a Ranger game and Michael's at a Yankee game and and he's in the studio by himself. So it definitely wasn't uh, the easiest thing in the world for him to to fit in on a show and not really know the hosts Mm -hmm. and, and, and have a tough time getting to know them because we're hardly ever there. Yeah. But he said you guys have done an amazing job welcoming him in, and he loves being on the show, and he has a great time. So I think, to your guys' testament, it was an awesome way to have him walk in completely blind, to have two guys who are established in the business and who do have you know, really healthy egos and have a lot of success, for him to come in not being really the sports guy and have you guys kind of welcome him, him in mm-hmm. as like kind of the fanboy uh, and and you know with open arms essentially was was really awesome and especially as a radio wife as I've been for and you know Nancy can attest to this too for a really long time he there have been situations where he hasn't been as welcome and the fact that you guys have been really welcoming to him has been awesome for not only for him but for me so thank you for that but. <laughs> Okay, so I want to get to some Twitter questions. Um, We tweeted out that Don was going to be on the show, and so you guys graciously responded with a bunch of awesome um, questions for Don. So, Don, Austin said, what is something you still want to accomplish in your career? Well, that's a great question. I mean, you know, it used to be wanting to have my own show, um, but I'm comfortable with the way that it is. I mean, if if Michael ever left, and I don't think it's ever going to be... Um, just me, mm-hmm. and and I and I wanted that for a long time, but now I, I I think one man shows can tend to be boring. You want to bounce things off of different people, so yeah. I'd probably be. I don't know if the situation that I'm in would be any better, so it wouldn't be that. I mean, to be the full time voice of a team would be a dream come true. Mm-hmm. You know, that would probably be the ultimate goal to, to instead of just filling in for Kenny to ever just be a full time announcer for you know football and hockey are my two sports, but I love baseball too. If that ever came. To being that would be something that I would love to accomplish. Okay, Jeff said, "What sport has the most and least knowledgeable fans?" <laughs> I saw this one. That's a great. Um, it's a good question, right? Yeah, like it, it is. I mean, I, I think they all um, have to know the sports in a certain way. I mean, just taking the callers, it seems like. So I guess you're saying who asked this, what fans ask the stupidest questions? Sure, that's kind <laughs> of weird. Yeah, does, where we're going with that and, one. And I get and. and they all do. I mean, but it just I, I the, the the thing that jumps to mind is baseball only because we get these ridiculous trade room. Really, why don't they trade uh, 
you know, Miller for Mike Trout. Like, nobody's going to ever do that. You know, so, so what are you thinking? I'll say baseball only because it's such a regional sport, meaning that if you're a Yankee fan, Met fan, you probably have knowledge of your team, but probably don't have as much a working knowledge of all the other teams. Yeah. You know, basketball and football is they're national sports, right? So you kind of know all the other players and all the other teams, right. especially football. Yeah. Baseball and hockey, it's probably just based on your team and maybe having a less uh, knowledge. So I would say baseball, and but not. I don't want to insult anybody, but <laughs> sometimes the questions we get you're just baseball like, fans are stupid. Just like, oh, That's fire Joe Joe. Why don't they play small ball? Well, they can't play small ball because they don't have anybody that can do it. You know, so that I, I guess the most frustrating callers tend to be baseball callers. So uh-huh. I'll say that. And what about uh, most knowledgeable? Hockey, I would assume you would say. Well, they're just so passionate. Like I said, yeah. they really have to work for the information. Yeah, so if you if you love hockey, that means that you're reading about it. You got to work a little bit harder. You're, you're doing not, research essentially. Well, yeah. because you know you you have to turn on the NHL network. Because listen, if you're going to watch Sports Center, you're not going to get much information on hockey. So the fact that you have to work a little bit harder for it, yeah, it, it might end up being them. How about uh, one thing he wishes he didn't do or did do when starting in the radio and sports industry? So essentially any regrets? Do you have anything that you... No, I I thought about that. Uh, No, I think everything, like I said, everything happens for a reason. Like I tried to get out of ESPN and I didn't. So that would have been a huge mistake had I hooked on someplace else. If somebody had thrown me a lifeline, like let's say 1010 wins or CBS offered me a full-time updates and I left and then I would have lost out on Jets, I would have lost out on Rangers. So no, I think everything has kind of went you know the way that that it should. I, I don't really have a any you know too many regrets as far as career decisions. I think I've I've that's, been very fortunate. That was from Jared, by the way. That is that's really lucky. Yes, you have been very fortunate. That's awesome. Uh, Gene said, "Is it hard to be a fill-in hockey play-by-play guy having to call teams you rarely see?" No, because I, I love the sport so much that I. I watch the Nancy. Uh, well, she can't laugh at me now. She watches the San Francisco Giants at two o'clock in the morning. But I won't I go to bed <laughs> until the last hockey game is over. So, you know, doing the pre and post, I, I pretty much have. You know, unless I have a jet conflict, I'm watching every single Ranger game, uh-huh. and then I'm watching games like crazy. So there's never. I don't. And if I, there's going to be certain teams I don't know as well as others, and I do the homework. But no, it, I love it so much that any extra work is fun for me. So no, it's it's. It's great to do. Okay. Dylan says, is the on-air chemistry between hosts always natural or can it be taught, worked out? No, it's got to be natural. People yeah. are going to see through it. Yeah. Um, it's just like uh, coming up with um, an opinion that isn't really yours. Um, people will sense that you don't seem very passionate about it. So, no, you got to try to make it work. You know, and and you don't have to be friends, but I think that chemistry has to be there. If you try to fake it, they're going to see right through it. So, no, it can't be manufactured. And people try, but I'm telling you, it won't work. It's got to be natural. What about any athletes that call in or that you have to do phoners with that it just doesn't end up working? Do you guys have those often? All the time. Yeah. Anyone stick out in your mind? I mean, who do we have recently? Well, well, I'll tell you, Odell Beckham Jr. just did not work. Yeah. You know, and we we actually had him on as a weekly because he was coming off that rookie season with the spectacular catch and all that, and we had him on, and there wasn't a lot going on. You know, it just he didn't seem really interested in it. We tried, and that's something we always get told by producers is, well, you got to make it work. Right. Well, you try, but he just didn't seem into it. He seemed distracted. He didn't give you very much. And it just didn't work. I mean, here's a dynamic guy, and we know he has personality, but we tried. It just never really got off the ground. And as big and famous as he was, 
People were actually tweeting saying, you know, don't have him on anymore. It was awkward radio. It really was. And yeah. we tried. It just it wasn't maybe if we did it again, another year under his belt, but it just didn't it just didn't seem to work at all. The chemistry was not there. I think he's so young and he hasn't really gotten the vibe yet of what exactly talk radio is, which is a lot of, you know, honest questions about his career. He I just don't know that he has the 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 career yet to really talk about. I mean, he's got his Instagram and I remember Peter asking him about his cleats and and that really, you know, that's what got him talking because that's really what he's invested in right now cuz he's a young kid. Like he he dances on Instagram. Like that's what he does. Right. He makes amazing catches. Like that's really the extent of it at this point. But it wasn't a promotional tool, or right. for, it was it was a way to, to get people to listen to our show. So I guess it is a promotional tool from that standpoint. But right. nobody wants to hear about his off the field stuff. That we want to ask him. Right? You threw a punch at a Buffalo Bill in that game, and and he denied it, and he seemed awkward and upset that we got controversial, that we got critical. But mm-hmm. that's part of having a weekly. We do it with the coach too. When we had Rex Ryan on and Todd Bowles, if the team loses thirty five to nothing, we can't talk about how great the punter was. Right. We've got to, and I think that the coaches are mature enough to understand that. I think he thought this was going to be just kind of a fluff, have fun. And I'm sorry, the team was six and ten, and there were times, and you know, you saw what happened in that Panther game. I mean, there were there were times where you had to get a little, you know, off, uh, you know, off the positive and onto the negative, and he just wasn't prepared to do that. Um, yeah. Not that he couldn't handle it, I just don't think he wanted it to go there. And that doesn't serve our purpose at all. If we're just going to go on and just talk about how great he is, that's not what it's about. Yeah. I'm just happy that his sparring partner is now on my team, so that makes me feel good. Uh, the Michael K. Show account tweeted and asked how Mr. Orange is. How is Mr. Mr. Orange, Orange is very doing? good. It's yeah. amazing. I guess because he was so young at three, he had a, a dislocated knee. Again, we don't know if he was born with it or whether it was damaged before we got him mm-hmm. uh, from the shelter. And he always kind of... Walked with a little bit of a limp when he got going. But he could run, he could jump. But the doctor said that uh, this is going to be something that when he gets older is going to be a major problem. So we had to have the surgery. All right, surgery is no big deal, right? Um, Put him under, medication, Uh can't run, can't jump for six weeks. Okay. So that means that we got to keep an eye on him for six weeks. Right. So that means Nancy's got to sit with him and not let him run and not let him jump, which is something a cat naturally wants to do. Yeah, that's hard. So it was really harder on Nancy than it was Mr. Orange. Yeah. But now he's recovered. He's fine. He runs. He jumps. It was like it never happened. So he's he's doing well. There's actually a picture, if you want to see on Twitter, because I named him Mr. Orange because he's orange, but also after the character in Reservoir Dogs. Uh-huh. And there's a the, the point where Mr. Orange is pointing his gun. I have a picture of Mr. Orange watching Mr. Orange on TV. So it's actually pretty cool. Nancy <laughs> took it. She did a very good job. How is Nancy? Is Nancy doing well? She's doing well. I mean, you know, I'm glad you brought up uh, just like what you have to go through. It's tough. because it is. It's a it's lot. a lot of weekends. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of, you know, hey, I got tickets to go see so-and-so. And, oh, well, the Rangers might play that day or they need something. So there's that sacrifice. I think it helped that I've been with her for so long that she was there from the beginning, so she knows. Since high school, right? Yeah. I've known her since 1984. Wow. So um, she understands it. She, but there's still the frustration. You know, yeah. she, you know, what was it? She bought tickets. I forget what the concert was. And yeah, and then Ranger playoffs come and there's a game and I can't go. Oh you my know? gosh. So, her and I could swap war stories all <laughs> right. day long, I bet. But yeah. I guess she figures it's worth it. Of course, you know, of but, course. Uh, but, that, but also, I don't also make it, I, I show sympathy. It's not like, oh no, sorry, I got a game. That's tough. Yeah. You know, I feel bad. I feel terrible. Yeah. But we don't have 
nine to five jobs. We don't have sick days. We don't have, right. um, I'll just take off that day. You know, and a lot of, when I first got the FAN job, I had a buddy, because um, my first uh, was going to be updates on the weekends. So that going in, you know, midnight Friday and Saturday, leaving early. And I told him, I was all excited. I'm going, I'm going to be on the fan. And he's like, yeah, but you're not going to be able to go out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to go out because yeah. I was in my you know, mid-20s and we still went out to clubs and all that. And, but no, you had to make sacrifices. So you kind of knew that early on. And anybody that, that is with us knows that that's the sacrifice you got to make. Yeah. All right. So we end every podcast with an embarrassing story. If you want to tell one where you were wearing your leather jacket and your mullet, that would be awesome. Or anything you could think of from your past that you were uh, that you were embarrassed by career-wise or just walking down the street or wow. hanging out. Anything you can think of. All right. Well, I'll give you a quick one. I'm sure there's ones that are worse. <laughs> we first started doing yes. As a matter of fact, I was wearing this shirt. So maybe that's why I thought of it. And sometimes the guys back at the studio aren't so quick to tell us that we're back. Okay. You know, usually they'll say, all right, back in 30 seconds or whatever. So I'm leaning back on a chair, and I've got my shirt up, and I'm scratching my belly. <laughs> I guess that shows you how close Michael and I are, because I didn't care that he was there, and he didn't care that I was doing it. Uh-huh. So I hear the music that we're back. So I dive forward, you know, all right, everything's good. But not realizing, because it was the early stages of yes, is is that the time the timing's a little di- bit different, meaning that, yes, the, there's a delay. Uh-huh. So they're still in commercial when we come back. So I'm looking at the commercial. So we come back from commercial, and what do you see is me back, with, you know, <laughs> scratch, <laughs> scratching my bare belly, and then me going back into it. So and I'm, and and I'm and I I can see because this went on for a while. It wasn't like a quick thing. I'm just I'm back there scratching my belly. So I I I look at Michael and I I point to him, and, and he sees it and he starts laughing. But all the all the at this point is eventually the listener sees that I saw what I did because uh-huh. then it catches back up and then you see that where I'm looking at it, they already saw it, and that we both got a good laugh out of it. So. Um, the Michael K. Show Nation got to see me scratching my belly before we came back for break. That must have been quite a sight. So, and of course, with social media, they freeze frame it, rewind it, they they take a picture of it, they send it back to me. So was that anybody, your first meme? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. That wasn't that wasn't uh, that wasn't too pleasant. Um, and because it also makes it look like, like my God, what a what a what a, a gavone over here, just a big you know fat you know. But I really just I thought I was safe. <laughs> But I wasn't. Well, you do have your Fitbit on. So yes. Yeah? How's that going? What are your steps at right now? Uh, well, I'll challenge uh, you. Well, I get up. You know, I had to set the alarm to get here today for 1230. Uh-huh. So I'm only at 4,200 steps. Wow. That's actually pretty good. What's your goal set at? 10,000. I yeah. should probably raise it. Because I always... That's the thing. I'm addicted to it now. I have to get to 10,000. Do you walk around during breaks and during stuff? During breaks, I walk around and I'll walk on the treadmill if I get home if I'm short. And then, you know, 10,000 gets you 4.7 miles, but the goal is five miles. So you want to walk to get to five miles. And then there's a goal for calories. So you want to walk to get to that. Uh So you end up getting, you know, on an average day, I'm probably 12 or 13,000. But there are some times it's like, you know, a minute to midnight and... Nancy thinks I'm crazy. I'm like running from room to room. And that's my only beef with it is that you wouldn't normally do that. So like, why do we have these stupid things on our arms controlling us to do do it? But what you don't want to do is start, you know, moving your arm up and down and cheating. cheating. But hey, 
before the Fitbit, then I wouldn't be running around. So that's got to be helpful. We, uh, I'm in a business, at least at least at SNY, uh, at least at City Field, you run from different place to place. I mean, right. literally, I can just sit there for four hours if I wanted to and never get up. Yeah. So I don't have a job where I'm doing a lot of running around. So the Fitbit actually helps. I wish the Fitbit would help you uh, or help me or help the proverbial you uh, stop you from putting whatever food that's going into your mouth into your mouth because that's the only thing that I honestly would need help with. Like I can run around, I can get count steps, but like the food intake is really what people need help with. I know, but you don't. Well, yeah, we all do. No, everyone, everyone needs some help. Some more sometimes. than others. Okay, that's so. true. Uh, is, Doritos is that is that cut back? We cut back on Doritos. I haven't had a Dorito and I can't tell you how long. Good Matter of fact, I was at Cape May this weekend and the only snack <laughs> available was Doritos. And I, I still... Wow. I get crazy. Like, I, I, I smoke cigars for a long time. Um, Halloween will be three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could cut back and have occasional... No, I got to shut it down. Yeah. So, I've shut down Doritos. I've shut down cigars. I haven't had soda in like four years. Is it for your health or how you look on TV or both? No, I don't... I, I, maybe I should care. Like, I don't even wear makeup. Michael puts makeup on. I just, I don't, I don't care. This is, this is what you're going to get, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, it's, it's, it's voyeur television. It's supposed to be looking in on a radio show. Right. So I don't, well, unless somebody tells me I have to, I don't bother. I don't care. I just, I want to be healthy. Yeah. I'm, I'm 48 now. I mean, it's, I'm getting older. So, um, it's probably a good idea to get some of those things out of your life, right? Yeah. So it's not vanity as much as it's just, Tired of the doctors telling me to stop. Yeah. Plus, my cholesterol is very good, which bothers Michael. Oh, well, that's no, that's positive. That's very good. You would think he would want you to have good cholesterol. I think one time I came in, I was like, my cholesterol is 111. He's like, how is that possible? (laughs) I'm like, so you're not happy for me. You're disappointed. That's right. You want me to come in and say, my cholesterol is at 300. They put me on medication. That'll make you happy. Yeah. That's the one thing about Michael. I love Michael, but he really. Misery loves company. He wants people to be miserable so he can feel better about himself. I can feel that. I can see that. Yeah. So that comes across of, a little bit. So on I the think show. he sometimes roots. Like there was one guy, Jeff Candelmo, he's working so hard. He he lost a ton of weight and Michael's tempting him with pizza. And <laughs> it's like, what do you want him to fail for? You know if he has that pizza, he's gonna have another one. Yeah. Be happy for him. No, yeah. he wants he wants to fail so that he can feel good. Yeah. Well, Don, we were thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Fans, if you don't already know, you can listen to him on 98.7 ESPN right here in New York. He's got to run to the show, so we will let him go. Joey, thank you so much. Thank you, Joey. Thanks again. Sorry I spilled the water. And let's go get a snack.